Kylo and Geshi, and this is my podcast, The American Funeral, a place where we talk about all the injustices in our modern day society, marginalized experiences, and ways to do better consciously. Join me in today's episode as we discuss neocolonialism and how this concept still has and will always affect African countries unless we do something. Before I start, hey, how are y'all? Hope y'all are doing good, having a dope-ass day. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode four of this season. If you haven't already, please check it out on social media, Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, at The American Funeral. I am looking to build a community of people who really care about the issues that I talk about and just connect with all of y'all amazing listeners of mine. So... To start off, I want to give y'all a definition of what the concept is from the Webster Dictionary. The definition of neocolonialism is the economic and political policies by which a great power indirectly maintains or extends influence over other areas or people. This is because a lot of North Atlantic countries, and when I say North Atlantic, I mean countries that are in Europe, like Spain and France. Basically, when you think North Atlantic, think colonizing countries plus America. So these North Atlantic countries have unethical ties to the countries that they colonized or other small developing countries that they usually have more power than. Usually there's an economic imbalance and the ties present are only beneficial to those North Atlantic and Western countries because the other smaller countries, despite what a lot of people think, they are not benefiting from anything. And a quote from one of my favorite, favorite people, an amazing political analyst from Africa, Kwame Nkrumah, the former president of Ghana, he described neocolonialism um, in his essay in his book called the stage of imperialism as 1965 and it went like this more often however neocolonialist control is exercised through economic or monetary means the neocolonialist state may be obligated to take manufactured products from the imperialist power to the exclusion of competing products from elsewhere control over government policy in the neocolonial state may be secured by payments towards the cost of running the state by the provisions of civil servants in positions where they can dictate policy and by monetary control over foreign exchange through the imposition of a banking system controlled by the imperial power. There are so many Western countries that participate in neocolonialism and as the host and founder of the American Funeral Platform, I'm just here to say that this practice is not only white supremacist, pro-colonialism, unethical, anti-black, and egregiously racist, it's just plain and simple wrong. These countries are put in positions where they have to maintain relations, or they feel like they have to maintain relations with these North Atlantic countries, and that's not the case, because these countries are exploding Africa, are exploding South America, are exploding small developing countries that are in the control of whatever North Atlantic country they are in. Personally, and with my platform, I'm taking a stand against this. This is not, it's not right. It's a practice that should be eradicated and people should be brought to justice for this practice. It takes a lot less for African countries' presidents to get in trouble. I don't know why it has taken us this long for people to even start talking about neocolonialism. And the concept of neocolonialism was introduced to me when I was in class eight in Kenya and we were talking about this, preparing for one of the big exams and one of my teachers was was talking about this. And it wasn't until I did my research and found that quote by Kwame Nkrumah that I fully began to understand what 
the concept of neocolonialism was because it seems like it's just one country just one bad seed but it's really not it's it's a chain of seeds and a chain of reactions from countries from all over the world countries that we know countries that we love quote unquote but they're doing so much damage and harm to smaller countries so in this episode i will be referencing war and that war will be world war ii i'm not talking about world war one so if you hear war let's get it world war ii okay so before world war ii the capitalist and elitist countries in the north atlantic and the west participated in regular colonialism you know had slaves had people in their be working as slaves in their own countries taking homes you know slave trade you know the whole the whole gist of regular colonialism the fact that it's called regular colonialism is that's messed up but still so while they participated in that they could easily control african countries and hinder their development by exploiting them and multiple north atlantic countries had colonies in multiple places including asian and asian places south american countries as well as the african continent after world war ii countries couldn't participate in outright colonialism because there were so many social repercussions of those who were still participating in the people in their countries were starting to speak out and being like hey maybe that's not right maybe you should not be doing that and a lot of people at that time began to speak and there was a lot of economic disparity between the working class and the few people who are benefiting from the colonialism in their own countries because even though the countries were still participating in colonialism let's say like britain the only people that were benefiting from Britain's colonialist endeavors were the rich people. The middle class people were still not getting anything. So those are the people that started making the noise and started holding their governments accountable because they're like, it wasn't from a good place. It wasn't from like the generosity of their hearts or their amazing morals. They were like, you should stop this because we're not benefiting from anything. So in time, countries did stop. And during this period, many African countries got their independence. So we began to see these countries adopt the facade of becoming welfare countries. So welfare countries essentially describe a country that pretends to have the well-being of another small developing country in mind. This can usually be seen through trade relationships, monetary aid, and stuff like that. So these North Atlantic countries began forming unions and having relationships with these developing countries that just got their independence. Now, these countries were either fresh from colonization or they were just struggling to get up on their feet. They didn't have to necessarily be colonized countries, but they were still smaller than the Western countries. When I say Western and North Atlantic, please think Europe, France, Spain, uh china canada america think about those countries so these north atlantic countries began forming unions and began having relationships with these developing countries the trick was that these countries and these unions were advertised and presented to the layman's world everyone as uh relationship that would help the small country get on its feet and a relationship that would be mutually beneficial to both parties 
However, the thing is that with neocolonialism, that the developing countries are really the ones benefit. The entire point of this is that the capitalist people of the bigger and more developing countries earn more money, but it would never trickle down. It like it has it has never trickled down to the middle class. Even in even in the past and even now, it never trickles down, and that's where the problem started. They use the country to get cheap labor, unethically sourced resources, raw materials, exploited children, and they leave them to the dogs whenever they ask for help. Many of these relationships work on the basis of exclusivity, which basically means that these North Atlantic countries would make deals that the small developing countries would only trade with them for certain materials. The catch is that the bigger country controls all the prices and eliminates all the competition and even the potential of it by making the relationship conditional to that exclusivity clause. Basically saying, you can only be trading with me for, let's say, let's take Britain and Congo, right? Let's let's talk about cobalt in Congo because it's the biggest export. So a country like Britain would say like, oh, You can only trade with me cobalt, but the thing is, because I'm at a better position financially, I'm the one controlling the price, and you can't trade with anyone. So you only get the amount of money that I feel like I should pay for that. If if you do business, you know that's not fair trade, and that eliminates competition, which makes it harder for the countries to make money at all. Another example, Kenya. We have an oil deal with China that to take oil from one of our desert regions for like a hundred years. First of all, it's not ethical at all, and it prevents us from profiting from our own resources and lets China set the price for our own oil. The only party profiting from this is China, and this is the case for so many countries around the world, you know, not only Africa. This goes on in South America, this goes on in Asia, and I believe that the relationship that America has with South American countries, and even Caribbean countries, you know, the whole southern part is just a version of neocolonialism. People just don't really include Southern America when they talk about neocolonialism, which is weird. A country like France forces all its former colonies to use French and the French dollar in trade, or else they wouldn't trade with them at all so that's just one of the examples of the exclusivity clauses and how that can look like it doesn't have to always be one necessarily streamlined thing which is the same case as neocolonialism it's never one direct single stream route these countries they find they find loopholes because this is the direct colonialism right they're not gonna do this they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna find a curve they're gonna find loopholes and clauses and fine print to make african and south american and asian countries still be indebted to them still need them still feel like they need them and still trap them with all essentially their bullshit when these big countries start doing this, they start establishing a concept called cultural hegemony. I'm not sure I said that right. Cultural hegemony. I said it the same way. <laughs> Which is an aspect of a Marxist philosophy that calls attention to the promotion of one culture over another with the objective that the ruling classes worldview becomes the norm. 
this cultural assimilation is particularly useful because it creates a situation ripe with potential for economic benefit for the ruling class. By persuading the subordinate group, the small countries, the developing countries, the former colonized countries, that the profits from the agreement outweigh the losses of not only working together, but also maintaining the, the bigger country's culture. And the ruling culture can maintain their superior status by doing that. Essentially, they make people believe and internalize that Western countries and cultures are the best. And they do it so subtly, but radically, that when you listen to some of the conversations had around neocolonialism, Western countries, and America, and all that, if you just listen to the kind of conversations that, let's say, people would have about how America is, you, you're going to hear some of that cultural hegnami because like a lot of people have been like oh it's so good it's better than xyz and that's a result of it being introduced so in a subtle way but it's also radical which perhaps to do it's very hard to do this is essentially making african people let's say making phones again i'm gonna use the example of britain and congo so the british colonized congo that we know and Congo has one of it's one of the biggest pots of Africa. It just has so many raw materials. It has so many resources, stones, precious metals. It has all of that shit, right? So the when the British came, they started punishing us for embracing our culture they started punishing us for practicing our culture they started punishing us by making us believe that their way of thinking and their view of the world was the only acceptable one and if we were to survive we were to adopt that way of thinking and that's how they basically infiltrated all these sacred and special and community-based practices that we usually had so they usually came with missionaries and they're like oh let's get you a western education what does this western education do this western education makes people see the west as the only place where amazing innovation can happen they essentially take the willingness of people to have some innovation because they they don't give us resources for us to cultivate that innovation if that's making any sense they take away your need to have that innovation because they're constantly providing you and and bombarding you with things that they've already made like let's say so back to the example of congo they have cobalt they could easily make their own phones easily make their own electrical appliances easily do all that stuff because they already have the raw materials all they need to do is manufacture they there is a lack of programs that first of all teach people how to make phones and the entire mentality is like oh we'll just get it from the west we'll just buy it from them because they're already making it and we also don't have enough resources other than the raw material to make it we don't have people who know how to do it we don't have the programs for people to learn how to do it so they so they don't essentially like go just killing everybody and telling people you can't do this you can't do this they do that by minimizing our access to resources 
like education other products that would go into making phones and all of that they take away those other secondary resources so the only way for us to get the final product is by trading in the raw materials with them so that they can make the final product they don't give us opportunity to have these secondary things that we need to make the final product if that makes any sense and there's been so many situations in that they make us think that we aren't smart enough we aren't able to sustain ourselves but in reality africa is one of the most self-sustainable continents ever we have a plethora of raw materials a plethora of people who are able to work people who are able to learn about these things and whether directly or indirectly africa is a motherland point blank period and they know this. That's why they invest in our self-destruction and watch it happen. Because neocolonialism is not only just hindering our access to all that information and resources. It's also making sure that we need them. It's also making sure that we're in a position where we feel like we need them. And constantly putting us between a rock and a hard place is what these countries are good at. Because there have been so many situations in Africa and with internal waters wars where the UN could have helped I think and I say this with 95% assurance almost every African country is part of the UN all these North Atlantic countries they're part of the UN that's why it's called the United Nations there have been so many wars in Africa since the UN was founded and you could literally count on your one hand how many times the UN has actually helped when countries are experiencing discourse there are so many opportunities to help but they chose not to because they want us to slowly self-destruct and you know this can this can really come off as a conspiracy theory but y'all know i got you with the proof so hang on with me a little bit I'll give y'all some examples, you know, with a massacre that happened in Rwanda, the war between the Hutu and the Tutsis, they asked the UN for help. For real? Like dead, dead ass. They did not respond. They called it an internal ethnic clash that they did not want to meddle in, which is extremely funny. They called it an internal ethnic clash and they did not want to meddle. Yet, when as soon as a government stops working in their interest, because you remember when we I read the excerpt from Kwame Nkrumah, they said they talked about establishing people in government and establishing people in those government to have those policies. So as soon as those people are not there, as soon as that government stops working into the Western people's interest, they suddenly a death in that government. They suddenly something that happens to that government and the government falls and there needs to be either the military takes over either emergency election there's usually there's usually something there's usually some chaos when the government stops working for them another example south sudan when it was experiencing war and detaching itself from sudan the un refused to help even though they profit so heavily from the oil and resources from South Sudan and the UN didn't even recognize South Sudan as its own country until 2011 not only did they not help they refused to recognize it as a country until 2011 like I want y'all to think about it 2011 that's literally 11 years ago 
it's it's not that far it's not something that happened in the past it's literally 11 minutes ago and that's something that happens all the time north atlantic countries only help the only kind of help they know how to give is military because they want us to be armed enough to harm ourselves because they can't do it themselves they can't do it outright anymore because regular colonialism is out right people people now have come to their senses they're like oh maybe going to other people's countries and killing them left right and center is not a good idea so they arm us they add wood to the fire that's what i'm trying to say because during the rwandan genocide back to that example france country that colonized it france colonized rwanda france provided a multitude of weapons and even co-signed for the government to get weapons from Egypt too. So not only did they were they like, y'all, we finna give guns to y'all. We finna we it's gonna be blazing. It's gonna be sparked up. They were like, you know what? I believe in co-sign your loans for you to get more guns from another country instead of coming to help. Cause think about it. If they had the resources to fund their guns, they had the resources to come and provide aid. They chose not to. Because there are two kinds of aid. There's aid that destroys and there's aid that helps. The aid that destroys is either funding the opposition rebels or funding the government. Either way, they're funding other one side to kill. Aid that helps, you come, you help the people that are being displaced. You help the people that are being killed. You help the hospitals that are understaffed, underfunded, lack resources, lack medical equipment. You come help. You come distribute food. You come distribute clothes. You give children opportunities to fly away to America to get better opportunities there's so many ways they could have aided but no they chose the weapons so many of these North Atlantic countries will only pour money into African countries in the matters that have to do with military with the condition that the money is only used for military purposes this leaves a majority of the problems that African countries are facing, like hunger, diseases, lack of access to education, lack of resources to develop the young people's skills, lack of jobs, access to healthcare, out of the equation. Because the money that we get from even these countries, they are dictating how we should use it. So we can't really use it in the way that is beneficial to us. The only thing that these countries are interested in is investing in our death and funding unnecessary wars. That's it. So when a developing country is on the brink of war, you'll you'll start seeing foreign governments investing, lending the money for weapons, knowing good damn well this country will not be able to pay them back. It's literally the way when hunting happens, when you see like a lioness hunting like a gazelle. Usually you'll start to see vultures starting to swarm around the area. Not not over the carcass necessarily, but if you look around, the vultures are usually on the radius. That's how these North Atlantic countries are. They're just like vultures. They're waiting, they're waiting to see when this country finally collapses, when this country finally goes into war. Now they are left to feast on this country's remains. They are left to feast on the bones. This leaves the country liable to the capitalist country for the loans that they were given, even though it was in an ethical and coerced position. And they put them in a position to accept trade deals that won't benefit them under the guise of paying their debt. Because these these African countries don't want don't really they don't really want that debt. Right, and they're like, okay, whatever I can do to get out of this debt because I took this money, I'm gonna do it. So you usually you end up just taking whatever you can so that you can pay the deal. These African countries also end up paying more interest because 
the bank you see the world bank has deemed a lot of african countries ineligible to pay loans even though that these loans were not given to them when they were in a position where they could pay and these countries knew that because you can't tell me a government is investing in a country without knowing their economical and financial capabilities like you can't tell me that's happening so these countries they pay more interest and it leaves the average person in that country paying such an egregious amount of taxes as well as a higher cost of living so that the government can find some money to deal with that post-war environment and pay those other countries the only thing in this country is that have is they have an economic advantage and that's the only advantage they have is that they took advantage of africa during colonization and almost depleted us of our resources in order to sustain themselves and their own countries if every single north atlantic country were to cut ties with african countries the south american countries and the asian countries they're exploiting they would not be able to be self-sufficient that's a fact when mexico stopped giving us avocados we were we did not have any avocados at all they're the ones who export that stuff for us the african continent is self-sufficient and we have every single resource to sustain ourselves and we only need the only thing that we need to do is just come together as one continent for our own mutual benefit and shut ties with the west i genuinely and truly think that if we as africans put our differences and stereotypes aside ingrained to us by western rhetoric that forces us to hate each other in order to have proximity to western civilization if we collectively just decided to trade only internally we would be unstoppable but unfortunately that's not always the case because of the exclusivity deals that i talked to you about by the trade deals that i talked to you about and how these countries just always find a way to trap african countries with this fine print deals folks this is one of the heels that i will always die on and luckily for me the great and late kwame kuruma a Ghanaian politician and political theorist had the same opinion as i do so you know i'm right so this episode was definitely influenced by his essay on neocolonialism the last stage of imperialism as well as others as usual y'all you know i only come to y'all with facts i only come to y'all with topics that i think are important that i feel that are really beneficial and neocolonialism is one of those things that it's not really talked about but it really truly does impact the way african countries and the people in africa live their daily lives because the cost of living in let's say my country like kenya like cost of living in kenya is really really high like regular people are not able to afford that and there are no job opportunities so people are really struggling because we have so many loans that we need to pay off that were gotten in a period where we really didn't have a choice and the interest we're paying is absolutely unethical so these conversations on neocolonialism is not about something that happened a long time ago it's something as recent as the un not accepting south sudan as a country until 12 2011 it's very recent it's very current and i really do genuinely hope that efforts are made towards this thing as usual i hope you guys learned something and i'm really stepping into i really want to hear y'all shots i really want to hear y'all feelings about this episode 
if you've ever had a conversation with me in real life i always find a way to slither africa and its dopeness into my conversations because i truly do believe in african potential i truly believe in being pro-black pro-africa and all that stuff because that is essentially you know one of the backbones of my podcast I want to hear y'all opinions on this. You know, type it up in our Insta comment section. I would love to hear from y'all. If you haven't already, follow us at IG at The American Funeral. And don't forget to do so on TikTok as well. See y'all in, see y'all in a while. I've been your lovely host, Kyla Wangeshi. Stay woke. <laughs>